0: Hi, I'm Jim Raffel. Welcome to this episode of The Dye Subcast, simply the best place to get information about dye sublimation printing. So I'd like to introduce my uh, co-host, Shelby Sapuzic. Hi there. And we've got a guest this week, Brian Adam. Why don't you say hi quick, real quick? Hi, right. thanks for having me on, Jim. All right. So on The Dye Subcast, we talk with equipment manufacturers, consumable manufacturers, dye sublimation producers, and we also share our own experience from running a dye sublimation business. Doesn't matter if you're new to the dye sublimation business or a seasoned professional with decades of experience, we're certain there's something here for you. And so let's get this episode started. As I mentioned today, we're going to be uh, having a discussion with Brian Adam, president of Olympus Group, about his grand format dye sublimation, which used to be for trade shows and event spaces. Hopefully we'll be again soon. And what it's like to uh, pivot from that to making uh, tiny little masks almost overnight last spring. And we'll, we'll also talk about how he sees this transition back pivot back, as I'm calling it, to conventional pre-pandemic product mixes um, that's going to probably happen over the coming months. So, Shelby, you have anything else you want to add or you want to introduce I'm just, Brian?
1: I'm really interested to talk to Brian because it's amazing that a year has gone by basically since we last talked. I think it was in March last year. to be, uh, um, And we were grounded then, as Jim said uh, earlier when we were talking before the podcast started. We were off the road and we were just we found Brian, Brian, you're in the Milwaukee
2: area, right? Correct. Yeah. So we're, we're based out of Milwaukee. This is where our headquarters is. We've got 150 employees here. We have a production facility in Orlando, Florida with about 35 employees production facility in Denver, Colorado, about uh, 10 employees, and then a graphic design company, uh, division in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about 10 employees.
1: Yeah. But, uh, Brian himself is located in Milwaukee. And yeah, I thought it was so interesting to talk to you last year, Brian, about the exhibit that you made. I know we're going to talk about that um, as we go through the podcast. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how this past year has been for you and where you are now. So why don't you Yeah, uh, I mean,
2: you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the year was uh, crazy, unexpected, uh, like nothing I ever could have possibly imagined. I mean, our our core markets that we sell to are graphics for trade shows, events, sports teams, and amusement parks, uh, all of which were literally shut and still remain a fraction of themselves in some capacity. So, uh, adapting to, uh, the loss of you know your, your major markets and, uh, uh, sources of revenue, uh, along with just the fear of a, a global pandemic was, uh, made 2020 for a very forgettable, but, uh, Quite
0: crazy year. Great, great. So, as Shelby mentioned, that we did interview for our blog last uh, last spring when we were all going through this this whole pandemic thing, and that was the early days of the pandemic. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. We didn't know how long it was going to go on. I, I, I have the recollection when we when we did that interview because I sat in that, you know, you were we were all talking about, yeah, we'll be back at trade shows in the fall. Um, and I, I think that it's going to be this fall. It's starting to look like I'm starting to feel some confidence that that's going to happen. But that means we had a whole year um, kind of lost that, that we all had to deal with. Um, and I'm just I'm wondering what this extra year of pandemic business has uh, has meant to Olympus and how you have kept the lights on. Yeah, I mean, so to, to keep
2: I think what it meant to Olympus has brought us a lot closer. I mean, having gone through this as a team, just uh, I think helped solidify the relationships we have with each other and what, knowing what we could overcome and what we went through for the year is, is there were multiple phases where we were just trying to a, keep our team safe uh, be produce anything possible to try to generate some revenue. So uh, we, we first pivoted in March of last year to producing face shields where there was a shortage of uh, all sorts of PPE for the frontline medical workers for hospitals uh, and, 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 medical workers the that that was probably a product line blew my mind and the fact that we could be producing a life-saving piece of equipment for hospitals on the front line of a pandemic and we ended up producing about 500,000 of these plastic face shields for uh the largest hospital networks in the city of milwaukee um that didn't last really long as the traditional supply chains came back uh, and that supply filled up. We coded to face masks, so the CDC then came out and said, "Hey, face masks are important." And we started printing face masks. We started printing these little face masks for um, essential businesses, for restaurants, for uh, we did some police departments, and, and we viewed them as almost miniature banners uh, that people put on their face. Uh, again, engineering on the fly, had no idea what we were doing, but kept kept the team busy. Then as essential businesses came back and started opening up, uh, we started printing a bunch of COVID graphics along with a lot of other printers. So floor graphics, warning signage. Um, Then we had a big run for a little while producing fan cutouts. So as sports teams started to open fan lists, they were trying to figure out ways to engage with their fan base. So they offered uh, the opportunity for fans to uh, upload a photo and have their cutout placed in, in the seats at different stadiums. So probably did 50 to 100,000 fan cutouts for a bunch of pro and collegiate sports teams. Uh, then they started doing large seat kills. Uh, so that was where you put big banners with logos or sponsors logos inside sports stadiums. So that was kind of the, the next uh, product of the month for us. Uh, and then we, as school started to come back in fall, we launched a fundraiser called Face Masks for Fun. Where we printed uh, face masks for schools, did it at cost, and allowed schools to do it as a uh, fundraising effort to generate some additional funds so they could buy uh, uh, additional safety equipment and PPE for their staff by generating uh, by doing a school fundraiser with school logos on on face masks. So that was that was kind of our our product level evolution. You know, the, each of those helped us. Uh, give our team members something to do. Generated a much-needed source of revenue while our traditional markets remained shut.
1: So, how did these ideas come around? You were mentioned. It's kind of like the flavor of the month. You you just named off so many different products. Um, how did you How did you know, or did they approach you, or were do you have someone in your team researching like next big opportunity?
2: Uh, I, I like to think most most of our teams going after it. I mean, uh, we have a. Uh, highly engaged workforce that was completely bought in to what we were trying to accomplish. The team excelled at responding to trade shows and events. And trade shows and events, the key is being responsive, is getting stuff done really, really fast. So I would say a good chunk of our orders come in for trade shows and events and they come in the same day. So we come in, we got to produce these big intricate fabric graphics, ensure they fit and get them done same day. So our team was used to responding really, really quickly. some of the ideas, you know, the face shields came from a, a good friend at the hospital, the face masks, uh, COO and some of our uh, uh, creative engineers had just crazy ideas on how to produce these face masks and looked into different types of fabric and what may work. Fan cutouts, we did a lot with the sports team, so we, we kind of kept our ear to the ground and we heard about these fan cutouts happening in uh, the Bundesliga in the German Soccer League. And so we pitched it and promoted it to some of our contacts at the Brewers, the Reds, the Rockies, and... Uh, tried to at least and did sell them on the idea uh someone here who i come up with very few ideas but we have a pretty talented group of people here so someone else came up with this face masks for fund fundraiser and uh as a way to keep our team busy and produce something that the schools may want um so i don't think there's not like a team or an individual it's kind of our uh our entire organization is trying to find what what can we do to we didn't have a lot of work so we had plenty of time so we were trying to figure out what we could do to keep those presses running and keep the seams just as busy. Did,
0: did you find that transitioning from the, the kind of large-scale graphics that you're used to doing and, and really as a result large-scale sewing where they're just probably sewing maybe complex but big long seams for like a, a trade show booth, booth or something like that did you try and find that transition to something tiny like masks because we did we didn't do any of the sewing but We did some mass production, Mm -hmm. as you're you're aware, in our little dye sub lab. And I I know it's kind of different than anything, any other product. Did you guys find that that pivot challenging or?
2: Yeah, the biggest challenge would be if we're producing a big graphic, if you think about the amount of time it takes to print, the amount of time it takes to sew, uh, there's there's some type there's a balance there. The face masks, I mean, they're tiny, right? So they, they take seconds to print and then each face mask with how we were producing them took about five minutes to sew. So the, the biggest challenge was just when we when first started stuff first started happening back with the face masks back when that really took off in late March, early April was we had some significant sewing capacity constraints. We have about 50 seamstresses in house, but we could print the stuff in an hour and then we bottleneck our sewing team for for a week or two at a time. So balancing that that workload, you know, we, we had our, I think our staffing levels set up to support a certain type of work. This uh, the amount of work required on the finishing side was significantly greater. So that, that took some challenges to understand what, what our schedules were like, how quickly we these done um, and determining how, how we can just sew these efficiently. Um, it, it's a different type of sew than sewing a giant you know, 10 foot by hundred foot long banner. When you are talking about the small level of detail um,
0: uh, on a face mask. Yeah. We, we noticed that when we, when we transitioned from the, the gator face coverings to the masks both of which we we sourced from uh, vapor apparel you know you know Chris and um mm-hmm. yeah yeah, great yeah the pain he went through getting masks into production so I, I that's why I was wondering I know the sewing is it's a whole different game than anything most of us are used to doing um so that's great that's great um so, when it came to the masks, did you find, you know, obviously some of them didn't, but at, at some level, were there customers who had as much concern for print quality and color quality as your trade show customers, or was it a whole different, a whole different thing? Uh, it was. I mean, uh, there are probably two phases. So, the first phase
2: was get me a mask, and I don't care what it looks like. Like, I, I just want this for protection. There's not a lot out there. I mean, we we had trouble as the supply chains back in March and April were a mess, we had trouble sourcing elastic. We had a lot of elastic in stock, but we burned through it quickly. And we couldn't find any. So the, I remember we had an order for the Orlando City Police Department for 10,000 face masks. And elastic, we scoured everywhere to try to find it. And I think the, the soonest we could get additional elastic was a couple of weeks. We were able to find some pink lacy elastic. Uh, I believe it's used on women uh, women's undergarments. Um, and we're like, hey, this is the only elastic we can get in this week to get this order done. And they said, fine, great. So, in that case, we shipped out a bunch of pink lacy elastic that the Orlando City Police Department wore for their initial face mask launch. As the product cycle evolved and supply chains came back, then, yeah, then color became more critical. And as the uh non-essential businesses reopened the ones that really cared about you know their brand and their color then it was more consistent more it it was similar to a trade show or probably traditional type print where color was absolutely critical uh at at the beginning if you know you were doing a if the color shifted you know they they just wanted face masks and people were willing to take anything they could get
0: Shelby I think you'd say we kind of we saw the same the same path that that first big order we got we like we weren't ready yet to do a full coverage gator and they're like fine just put our logo all over it that's fine uh, <laughs> and, um, a
1: more interesting visual
0: yeah it, oh much yeah that was a much more interesting <laughs> visual and then as it went on like we just one of the last order or gator orders we just did it went through I think there were like five proofs and we were, we were all ready to pull our hair out. It was crazy, right? It was like, are you kidding? Actually, it was a face mask order. There were five proofs and they wanted it You know, the next day. It's like, oh my God, come on. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's yeah. when I knew things were getting back to normal. Um, what else we got here? Uh, so I, in the interest of full disclosure, Colorcasters does some business with, with Olympus Group. Um, and I know that you've been buying some software and things from us and we did a little bit of remote consulting with you guys. But I also have kind of heard through the, the grapevine that you've you've made some pretty decent investments in equipment, right? You know, right now during the pandemic, when I can only imagine that your business is not what it was last year, and the outlook is probably not as rosy as it was a year ago. Um, although I think we're all starting to feel better about the year. I mean, is that is that kind of scary making those decisions in, in times like this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, where we're fortunate is they're outside of even our custom print segments. We have some unique product lines and divisions. So we manufacture U.S. flags. We would sell them through large mass merchants like Menards or Mills. Uh, We manufacture and design billboards for McDonald's. We produce these mascot costumes. And so the diversity of these business lines has made running a business challenging because the needs for a U.S. flag line from a computer system standpoint, from a website is a lot different than what you want for a mascot, running a mascot uh, uh, product line. But during a time like last year, man, that diversity certainly helped. So U.S. flag sales were way up. People were home. They are putting more flagpoles on their houses, flagpoles in the grounds because they had time to do it. Uh, McDonald's, is, you know, as, as they have done in past recessions, actually does okay in economic downturns. So the diversity of our product line allowed us to be in a fairly strong financial position along with some of the different product lines we launched last year. So while things aren't great, you know, we're not, we're certainly it wasn't a great year last year. Our, our sales were down. We enter 2021 with some financial security and the ability to say, all right, we can place some bets. Uh, our gut is that trade shows and events are going to start to pick up in the latter half of this year, the second half of this year. And there will be a lot of opportunities to, for a company like ours to capitalize on and possibly gain some market share, grow uh, when stuff does rebound. Um, so what we decided as a team is we we spent a lot of time determining where we want to place those bets. And we, we use the analogy that, Hey, the, the cars, no, our our cars in the garage. Very rarely for a business, do you have an opportunity to like improve and you know, work on the engine of your car? You're usually moving a hundred miles a minute. Well, we know we got the next six months where we don't, we won't be crazy busy week to week, but we have uh, some financial security that allows us to at least we're going to survive. We're going to be fine. And then when stuff picks up, we want to be able to capitalize on it. So we've discussed where to place those bets. And then we've invested in both some equipment upgrades. So we've probably invested $1.5 million in equipment and software upgrades. And, and the two goals would be to increase our uh, the capacity and quality of our print. So that way, when stuff happens, we can get the graphics done quick. And then you know where we've worked with you guys in the past, and you guys have uh, been a supporter of us, is on, on kind of that front end. And how do we streamline both the um, order entry and pre-press operations? So how can I, and one of my goals is the, the printers will run as fast as they can run, seamstresses can sew as fast as they can sew. But where we felt we had the most opportunity, more responsive and improve our speed would be the time it takes from a, when a customer places an order to when we get it on press. And that's where we're relying on some of the software and some of the automation to take customer uh, orders, process them extremely quickly, have the art set up extremely fast and get it on press fast, and that's uh, uh, that's at least been one of our focuses. And is one of our focuses so when the events and the trade shows do bounce back, uh, we can handle that workload and handle it in a uh, efficient manner.
1: Do you see a trade shows? changing as we move forward. And I've talked to a couple clients where uh, down in Florida, specifically, they have had a trade show here and there. And one of our clients went and they said mm-hmm. it was a very different feeling. And I know it's still early, but you know, I, you know, how mm-hmm. were, I'm going to go walk the trade show. Well, that wasn't a thing. They were instead making a beeline to a booth that they already had an appointment in. Is that going to change like permanently or at least for the near future in your idea and and if so how do you how do you think trade show um exhibits are going to look like you know because you were doing a lot with trade shows before
2: the yeah pandemic. i mean they'll certainly change in the near term you know I, I think you'll see what what your uh friend mentioned where it just it's you're going to make the beelines you're going to have appointments uh i guess my hope would be by the time we have some type of herd immunity with the vaccine deployment that trade shows well they will look different they will look more like what they've looked in the like in the past and where i think the big changes will occur is i i I view i try to bucket trade shows into three different types of three different types of trade show or three there's three types of trade show that is the way at least i classify it Uh, one would be a like a hobby show or some like a, a consumer special interest show and these are the ones Uh, It would be like a golf show, a boat show, like the surf show just happened in Orlando. If you're a big surfer, you're a big golfer, you're really into boats, you go to those shows, a wedding show. If you're getting married, you go to a wedding show. Those are happening now. They're happening, they're, they're small, they're masked, but it's an individual that's making a decision to go to a show or not. Uh, I think those will, those will continue to happen, but those are smaller shows. Then you have the big industry conferences. So in our industry, the Printing United would be the, the big industry conference. But there's, you know, there's SEMA, there's CES. There's, and these large industry conferences are the ones that I think will come back this fall. Um, and one of the reasons is the these industry associations generate a significant portion of the revenue from having these shows. Plus, as an attendee for some of these shows, I get a huge benefit out of going to these shows. This is where you meet new people. This is where your network, this is where you see new ideas, you develop new relationships. So I think those shows will come back. They will absolutely look different you know, in the short term. So say all 2021, I don't know if there'll be any international components. You'll have less people going to them. Um, there will be more virtual pieces of them, but I don't think those shows will ever go completely virtual because I don't believe anyone's figured out how to monetize completely the virtual piece and you miss out too much on those personal relationships and connections you build by physically being there. The shows that the third piece would be the company-specific shows. So like McDonald's has a big show. Microsoft has a big show. In Milwaukee here, Northwestern Mutual has a big annual conference. Those are the ones that I think might be changed forever. And at least in 2021, I can't imagine one of those big organizations rolling the dice and saying, hey, we're going to pull everyone in together and put them in one room, especially because those shows are more information sharing. You hear a keynote from a CEO, you get people excited about it. Now that people are more comfortable with zooms and the net meeting platforms i could see those shows where you watch a keynote from a couple of executives uh happen become more virtual or happen with less frequency so you know will nm bring back you know 10 to fifteen thousand people to the city of milwaukee every summer uh i don't know maybe they do it every other year and then they do it virtually in the subsequent years it'll help them defray their costs as people are more comfortable with that platform so i think that's the the type of show that you know I don't think that'll come back with the same scale or scope that it was pre uh, pre-COVID.
1: Well, I think that's true in almost any industry too. I think people have found that some people and some aspects of their jobs can be done remotely. I wonder how many people in the near you know, especially in the near future, I guess I should say, how many people are going to go back full time, you know, every week. I just I just don't know. And I guess it depends on the industry. It's funny too. That was the example I was using. That's where our friend went.
0: Well, the other the other thing that's happened to Shelby that you you're not even aware of because I got it over the weekend. Uh, Printing United has, has emailed me and and they are um they're actually looking for speakers for the fall. So um and the, it was clear though that your your speaking could be um, in a breakout room. It could be on the show floor or it might be some kind of a virtual pre recorded presentation. So it's but but there's there is kind of a return to at least some, some sense that these things are going to, they're going to happen this year. That, that was my gut feeling. So, yeah. So um, yeah, the other thing we did, I, I'm just, I was thinking about this for quite a while. For those of you who are not on video, which is just the four of us or three of us, um, the uh, behind Shelby is a heat press, right. And it's just a small heat press, but it's, it's an example of what Brian was talking about where we you know, we were, pretty decent financial condition as the year went on last year. And so we, uh, we set up a, like a dye sub lab for Shelby, and it was in anticipation of business returning to normal. So she can do testing and and design and things like that right there um, in Greensboro without having to, you know, come here to our lab or go to a client site. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good time to get the, when the car's in the garage, it's a good time to tune it up. Right. So
2: Yeah. And our, we, we, our belief was, Hey, we'd rather be, you know, three to four months, early than three to four months late, which is one of the reasons we made the investments now. So when I drove into work this morning, the riggers are here putting in a, a new hybrid UV, you know, Durst P5 press here in Milwaukee. We're putting one in Orlando next week. And we don't have the volume to warrant having those presses today. But I don't want to put them in next fall when I'm two months too late and I can't get product out the door. So this should give us the time to engage experts like you guys, dial in the colors, make sure everything works, make sure we know what we're doing. We iron out all the bugs. And that way, when stuff does turn on, we're we're ready to respond.
0: So, my last question is: um, It's actually it's funny when I when I write when I wrote it, I hadn't really thought about it much. But we're um, wondering if if your approach to sales and marketing has changed during the pandemic. Because one of the things I've actually figured out, just kind of thinking about this over the weekend, ours has not. I mean, I I, I thought at least from a, our traditional consulting and training business, I feel like we're. We're doing what we were doing. And as I'm getting really busy this, this first quarter of this year, it's, it's, you know, it's the referral business. It's, it's all the things that used to be there that dried up for eight months, but now they're back. And so I'm kind of wondering what you've experienced in that regard.
2: Yeah, it changed last year when we were in the midst of the pandemic, and we were producing face masks and face shields because all of a sudden our target market from, hey, we want to sell into the trade show event exhibits, you know, sports space. When we started doing the face masks, we looked at who we could sell to and it was everybody. I mean, it was churches, restaurants, grocery stores, any business that's open, you know, police departments, fire department. So the list, our, our call list for our sales team was, hey, call on any and everybody because now the customer, the universe of customers we can sell to is expanded. Well, now that's, as we get back into our core markets, which we w- which we are back into now, uh, we'd be in a similar boat gym where we've, we believe our. our yep, yeah, we've learned how to do net meetings better, and we we fine-tuned some pieces of our sales and marketing engine. We, you know, we had the time, so we launched, you know, relaunched our websites, redesigned those. But the approach we're taking to sales and marketing, I would agree, hasn't changed, and we're going to take the the same. It'll be it'll be the same strategy we had pre-pandemic.
0: Well, that's kind of our standard. Not really our standard. Those are our, our questions for you. I'm going to let Shelby take us into our are uh two questions we ask every guest, and then you get to ask us almost anything.
1: One thing I would point out to you, Jim, you said that we haven't changed our marketing very much. I would say starting this podcast is content marketing, and we didn't weren't doing this last year. So
0: I stand corrected. <laughs> Actually I'm sitting. I sit, I sit corrected. <laughs>
1: as jim said we have just a couple more questions for you brian we ask everybody these questions um what is the most interesting trend you see either in the die sub industry or in print in general today
2: yeah the it's not like a new trend but mass customization i think people is a trend in print where uh people want stuff customized they want to feel you know people want to feel special they want to feel like you know they don't want to if I want wallpaper for my house, I want it to look a certain way. Um, and, you know, I think we'll continue to see in dye subs some significant opportunities on mass customization, not in our space, but in the apparel space where uh, you know, the fast fashion, I think will continue to be a really big deal. Uh, you know, for us, I think the fan cutouts were an example of mass customization. I mean, we, when we did, you know, the stuff, when we we're doing these 50,000 fan cutouts, I mean, those are 50,000 unique images that we had to figure out how to process and get on press. Um, So I don't think that's going away. And I think it provides a lot of opportunities for domestic manufacturers like ourselves to uh, produce larger runs of products when they're required to be uh, customized.
1: And our final question, most important of course, is what is your favorite color and why?
2: So I had to give this some thought. My favorite color is PMS 200. Uh, that is a Badger red. So I was, uh, I am a UW uh, alumni, and I was Bucky Badger when I was at the University of Wisconsin. So I'm a wa- officially a, according to my wife and kids, a washed up college mascot. Um, but I have to go with the, the color of my Badgers, PMS 200.
1: I am so glad you were able to fit that into the podcast because I was trying to figure out a way because I knew that about you. <laughs> That's perfect.
0: That is that's 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 one of our better answers for what color though, so, and and very specific. <laughs> your turn to ask us almost anything. Well, first, I want to ask
2: you guys the same question. I want to ask each you what your favorite color is.
0: Go ahead, Shelby. You can answer first.
1: Um, mine's black. Um, I I. I... I know it's basically the absence of color and I'm, you know, I do color theory, but I wear black so often because that's the way that, you know, it's easier and better to view color that way. Um, And I, I don't know, I just feel comfortable in black and I'm, I like, when I was in college, I was kind of one of those little goth kids and, you know, I just, you'll see that I've always, you know, not today, but I wear black eyeliner still, you know, um, that's just always been my thing.
0: And mine has evolved into being um, gray and it's um, and the reason I know that is I look at my wardrobe and the vast majority of it's gray and the reason the vast majority of my wardrobe is gray is I'm trying to wear a color that does not um, impact the visual appearance of things I'm looking at and so that gets I can go deep down that rabbit hole but basically light reflecting off of me um, impacts the image that I'm looking at potentially and um, so I've tried to try to make sure that the vast majority of my work world wardrobe at least is neutral gray and so my wife on the other hand makes me buy all kinds of bright colors to wear when I'm not working
1: <laughs> no one has ever
2: turned, I like that,
1: it. No one's ever turned that question around on us and now I know that Jim and I are both very boring
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that I think those are great answers are
1: our favorites. what were you
2: what would you guys be, what would you be doing if you weren't in print
1: Ooh. Well, I was in newspapers for the first 17 years of my career. Now, some of it was graphic design, but um, I have, I was also a writer um, and I was an editor and I think I would love to get back, you know, the media is, you know, we can, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, because it's a lot different <laughs> than um, where I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago when I went out and kind of pivoted, I hate that word, but here I am again saying it. Um, into this print, in, this part of the print industry, but you know, newspapers just aren't, aren't what they used to be. And I always wanted to be in print and not TV or radio. I wanted, I love print media, and I, I would imagine if things had stayed the same, I'd still be doing that.
0: I, I think if, um, if you know, if for whatever reason you told me today I had to make a career change, um, one of the things I did during the pandemic was became incredibly interested in an area of technology, and that, to me it's important I get that part out there, and that is blockchain, which most people know of blockchain as Bitcoin, that's the most common form of blockchain that people hear about. But blockchain is an entire technology um, area. I mean, it's it's it's. I'm one of those people who's crazy enough to think blockchain already is changing the world, we just aren't aware of it yet, and if we look back in 25 years, it's gonna be a phenomenal, huge seismic shift um, game changers all over the place in, in the art space with um, uh, NFTs, non-fungible fungible tokens, which is the way people buy digital art now. I, I would figure out a way, because I've always loved tech. I've always loved the technology side of even print and color. Um, I would figure out a way to become involved in the, in the blockchain community, um, which means probably short term. I'd go to work for somebody doing something in the Bitcoin space. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. One more question. So I just finished uh, my last book that I've read, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which is a great book. So I need to figure out what book to read next. What's the last great book you read?
0: I'll I'll go first. What do you think, Shelby? For me, it's a reread. Seth Godin, Poke the Box. Um, It was a limited release that he did. Um, He self-published it. And uh, very, I, you'll probably read it in an evening. It's 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 a really quick read, but there is just some there's some really good stuff in here. Um, that poster came with it. I bought a limited edition behind me. The one that says no free lunch. So it's uh it's it's a it's a great book full of um, really. Sh- what I love about it is if you're busy and not like on a plane or whatever, and you only have a chance to read two or three pages you can get there's it's so many quick bites um it's snackable it's snackable reading so you can uh you can get a lot out of it in a very short period of time
1: I actually had to go get the book because I forgot the name of it
0: oh I know what this is <laughs> yeah,
1: but, um, I've, I'm about halfway through this but um I spent some time talking to um Carol Roth I don't know if you know who she is um but she's kind of um a lot in finance, but she does a lot in entrepreneurship. And so I bought her book and I'm about halfway through it. And it's called, uh, the entrepreneur equation, evaluating the realities, risks, and rewards of having your own business.
2: I wrote those both down. They will be on my list.
0: Awesome. All right. So last thing, um, where would you like our listeners to go and find you or your company or both online?
2: uh olympusgrp.com is our our website you can google olympus group if you want to uh find me online you can go to youtube and google bucky badger gets beat up by michigan state cheerleader and you will see a very hilarious video of me getting flattened by a michigan state cheerleader back in 1999 uh so i guess that's where i'm personally online um but uh olympus is at olympusgrp.com
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And with that, we will close out the episode.
1: Thanks, Brian.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. It was a lot of fun.